I would like to cheers to fall. The best of seasons. It's aesthetically beautiful. It is the perfect temperature for Literally a man perfect. as large as myself. Mm. Uh, it demands the perfect fashion for a man as large as myself, right. where I can hide the folds of my body with the folds of a hoodie. I also want to say that it's the season of bonfires. And as mm. you sit around a communal fire with mm. friends and family, don't make the wrong decision <laughs> and ruin fucking chocolate, marshmallows, and graham crackers. <laughs> Really lean into that. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. Welcome to Mix Six. And this is the podcast where we rake up all the beers and drink them. I don't know, my autumn metaphor really fell apart there. But uh, mm-hmm. moving forward, terrible. Uh, like the advance of the seasons. There there we go. We're back on track. Medium. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have uh, six beers. We rate and review them, and we talk about six topics. Uh, and in this episode, we have a very special theme that you've picked for us, Spencer. Yeah, I feel like I really crushed this one. Yeah. So if you've listened to any Mix 6 episode before, you know that we choose a different uh, rating system every week, and we rate our beers on a five-point scale. A one is the worst beer that you've ever had a five is the best beer that you've ever had much in the same way that today as we discuss television game shows Mm. a one would be something you absolutely couldn't stand to watch and a five would be something that is appointment appointment television for you you're you're getting past the theme of all the beers though oh and yeah today it's all about pumpkins Okay, yes. because it's you October. Just left my fall metaphor. Sorry, and it was working so perfect. I thought that you thought the theme was television game shows. I was like, well, I did think it was good. Yeah, wow, that's the rating system, right? Yeah. But yeah, so it's all fucking pumpkin beers mm-hmm. today. Um, we did uh, Oktoberfest last time or a couple episodes ago. I don't fucking know people. I'm drunk when we do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but today we're doing pumpkin beers because it's almost the end of October, and pumpkin beers are going to be a little bit weird we soon. Like gourds. We don't care who knows. Absolutely. So anyways, today we'll be reviewing those pumpkin beers on a brilliantly designed rating system, which you've heard nothing about, which is television game shows. Uh, And what I've tried to do here as a quick caveat is stay away from the ongoing reality competition show, like The Survivors, The Big Brothers, The Real World, etc. Those are not television game shows to me. No, absolutely not. Interestingly, I will watch all of them, but I'm not putting them in this category. So here we go. A one in today's rating system, which is a beer that you absolutely hate, and frankly a show that I cannot watch. The newlywed game. Oh, hey, let's set two people down and make them use funny words to describe terribly uncomfortable things for 30 minutes and see who can do it worse. And also, like, make it a test of their relationship. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, I would love to see the stats on let's how many people Let's all invent a game. divorced. Yeah, let's all invent a game to make people get divorced and then pretend it's for the opposite reason. Yeah, yeah. It's a sick, it's a sick prank. It is. And just, like, fucking stop, people. You know what I mean? Like, if I had to hear one more person, and I only, I, I have such a, a reading of television game shows because I grew up spending a lot of time with my grandparents. There were a lot of game shows on. This is the life that we lead. Uh, if I had to hear one more person refer to sex as whoopee uh like between that show and the fucking love connection with chuck woolery um that's just stop no man this isn't a hot take like every time think of every time the newlywed show has ever been portrayed in a sitcom as anything but right a tool for strife that's right it's because it's not it 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 is it's the inciting incident like yeah all right and number two for me so a beer that you don't really like 
that you know you're not going to go back for if you absolutely had to drink it it'd be better than a one a two for me is fear factor oh yeah and i dislike the show for two reasons both of them are joe rogan yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so that's all i want to say about the mic there sorry yeah. i mean yeah sometimes i want to be like Watch a man covered in cockroaches, and then Joe Rogan comes on. He's like, right. "Taxation is theft, bro." Four twenty, and I'm like, "God damn it!" Yeah. Uh. So, anyways, uh, okay. So a three is like your standard bearer, or in this case, your standard beerer. Um, it is your run of the mill go to drinker. It's not going to change your life, but it's certainly okay, average for its category. And a three for me is Jeopardy yeah. today. It's the standard bearer for games. Yeah. It, it is what we talk. It is what we think about when we think of television game show. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not going to move the needle for you. It's not going to change your life unless you're Ken Jennings or Brad Rutter. But it'll move the ball. All right. Yeah, you're not talking to other people while you're watching Jeopardy. No. You're having a conversation with Jeopardy. That's right. As if it were God or right. some disembodied spirit. Like you're asking. What is question. the Continental Congress? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 And, and that's unique. Who is Amelia Earhart? Yeah. Right. It's and, not exactly pleasant because it proves how stupid you are. Right. In almost every instance. Of Unless you are Ken Jennings. Here's what I will say. But that it, it is, you know, sacrosanct. Jeopardy's greatest pop culture contributions to me are, in fact, not about Jeopardy. They're oh, about... SNL. They're atta- well, actually, oh, God, <laughs> three greatest contributions. They're about the time Watson played Jeopardy. They're about what is arguably the best line in all of The Office, in which Michael Scott doesn't understand how Jeopardy and Double Jeopardy are different. And then, of course, SNL, right? So that's Jeopardy for you. It's yeah. there all the time in the background, but it's not changing your world. A four. Now we're getting into beers that you really like, beers that you're actively seeking out. I really wanted this to be a five. I know. I also want the five to be a five. I know, right? This is the problem with nuanced distinction. Mm -hmm. So a four for me, a beer that you like, maybe even love, but it's not the best thing on the tap line. It's not a unicorn for you. A four here is MXC, Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. Make it its own channel, and I won't change it. I'll just snap the remote in half. We don't need it anymore. Yeah, MXC is on. God, I love that show. It was it was appointment television for me for years, <laughs> and then it went away, and so its much less interesting predecessor or successor, Wipeout, became appointment television for me. So MXC is a four. And then a number five, this is a game show which transcends time, which transcends host, which, you know, um, from roughly 1970 to 1999 transcended sexism, uh, thanks to Bob Barker and his disgustingness. But mm-hmm. the price is right, man. Mm-hmm. Like, the price is right. I just think... This is what television game shows are all about. You know what I mean? Bring a bunch of like random humans on, give them a chance to get on television, have them bid on conspicuous consumption, uh, and then celebrate the fuck out of it. Things I wish 538 would do rather than get elections wrong. Find me the data points to figure out how many dogs and cats don't exist. Just because of Bob because Barker. Because of Bob Barker. Give me a total. Like, a rough estimate. Like, yep. how many sad, sick dogs and, and unloved kitties aren't, aren't suffering in this world because of that man's just fanatical devotion to spaying and neutering your pets? It is... Uh, it is Crusaders got diluted and, like, burnt out before Bob Barker stopped talking about spaying and neutering. The man would give away a home, seven cars, a trip to Greece, all of Italy, and $2 and million. Then, oh, dollars. by the way. And then the most important thing would be to tell people to spay and neuter your animals. Yeah, I want a, I want a number, 538. That's right. Nate, get on that shit. And Plinko... Plinko has to be the quintessential of... I wish I had that in my house. That's right. That's right. If I could build anything, it'd be a Plinko board (laughs) for beer bottles. That's how I would get rid of them. I would sort them... Which is terrible because it's just nails in a board. (laughs) 
Yeah, so I can't do that. Yeah, yeah, it's really, all, it's you wouldn't get the big spinner wheel if you had to use something in the process? No, 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 no. Everybody's got big spinner wheels. They just turned theirs horizontally. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I think you're way overestimating well, the spinner Well, they said they had two wheels. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, you have, well yeah. Uh, so anyways, that's that's the rating system for today. Uh, if you really hate it, it's a newlywed game. If you really love it, it's a Price is Right. And on that overly wendy explanation of all of these wonderful things, we'll be moving on to our first beer. We'll be talking about board games, and we'll be back in just a second. With our fantastic theme, which I totally remembered to talk about here, pumpkin <laughs> beer, what are you drinking first? I am drinking from Blue Moon Little Brewery. Don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, very small. Real craft. Nano brew. Uh, Blue Moon's limited released Harvest Pumpkin Wheat. Uh, Stillwater Rule. I don't know. Uh, the, the whole concept of this is interesting to me. Like, the idea of a themed Blue Moon makes me go, meh. It tastes like a blue moon. Okay. With like, I had like a bite of pumpkin pie, call it 35 seconds before I oh, drank okay. the blue moon. All right. Okay. And so it's a blue moon with a pumpkin aftertaste. It's, it's a, it's a jeopardy. Oh, like, okay. I mean, it's there. That's not awful. Much like blue moon. It's, it's. The tastes like my own spit sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> We're not gas station beer. Oh, wait. <laughs> right. We kind of are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of are now. At medium to We okay worked gas very stations. hard to get that way. Yeah. I will say this Blue Moon has become my, oh, you don't have something I wanted to drink on? Well, I'll have a Blue Moon. Yeah. Um, and it's actually served a very nice purpose it's, in that It's way. completely unobjectionable. That's right. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it serves its purpose. What are we talking about? Well, uh, so it's our first segment. And if you've listened before, you're probably starting to get the idea that our first segment is typically about board games. We call it Dissecting Our Fun. And today we're talking both about a game and about the branding of a game. In fact, today we're talking about the game. Oh, my God. It's so... I, I, here's the thing. <laughs> It's a really kind of a fun little game. I love the design of it, but I hate the branding so much. It's the worst branding. <laughs> it's going to sound like I'm roasting the game, but I, I'm not. It's like a good game. You should probably buy it and play it. But God damn, why? Like, the, oh, the theme is so terrible. So, a couple things I want to say. If really you could quickly. call it a theme, one. I, in the same way that I accidentally skipped over the theme uh, in the in the pre-party section of the show, mm-hmm. I feel like you did not adequately reward me for the wordplay there in the in the introduction of this segment, in which I used a game a number of times to yeah. then get to the game. Look, I, I appreciate you did segment. it because, like, it's the reveal of it, and it was very clever. Right. But here's the thing. That's While it's very hear. clever on right. your end, yeah. it's a very bad idea for, quote, the game, end quote. Oh, because right. how does one refer to it sure. by word okay, of mouth? Yeah. By the most generic fucking term possible. Yeah. Like, the branding and theming of this Wait, game. Oh, oh, it really is called the game. Yeah, Literally exactly. Called, oh, exactly. We're playing who's on first here. Right. And oh, when, God. The, when the game, which I will say the game, rather than the, the, the kind of typical the game, when yeah. the game was introduced to me, I went through this very thing. So I went to, um, we have a... Who's th- the ad genius who came up with that one? Right, exactly. I went through this, like, there, uh, we have a thriving uh, board game community in Springfield, mm-hmm. Missouri. God bless. Um, the, the 417 Gamer Group uh, offers a number of weekly events in which you can go play games. And so a couple weeks ago, Brandy and I decided to, like, jump in. Um, and Rick Bagwell and Catherine Yoder, we sat down 
down with the two of them. I think Rick runs the 417 Gamer Group. And we'd never been to one of these events before. And so they just said, well, let's play the game. Um, and I was like, okay, is this some weird like initiation and or hazing thing? Like, <laughs> Revolver goes on the table. Right. Or like, is, is there... Door like, locks. <laughs> is there a preferred game of the 417 Gamer Group that they use just to test people and it's been used so frequently it's now just referred to as the game? Catan comes out. You right, roll exactly. your eyes so hard you see your brain. And instead they pull out, they pull out this nifty little card game affectionately now known as the game apparently mm-hmm. um and we play so here's the here's the conceit of the game and, and, and i want to spend too much time on the conceit or the gameplay rather i want to spend a little time on that and then a maximum amount of time talking about why the fuck does it look like what it looks like <laughs> to yeah. get there and yes. why is it called the game yes. so um it's a cooperative game which i absolutely love and it that seems fun until you actually have to start cooperating with people at which point you instantly turn to hating one another despite the fact that you're on the same team yeah. quote unquote um in the game you set out four piles um two piles on the left and two piles on the right each of those piles starts with a number so the two piles on the left start at 100 and the two piles on the right start at 1 and in either pile... And the pile in the middle is cards. That you're going to draw from. through... Uh, two, two through, through 99. 99. Yeah. So each of you starts with six cards, for example, in a four-player game. And what you're having to do is you're trying to lay those cards down in the piles. The piles of one, which you can move cards up, and the piles of uh, nine, 100, in which you can play cards moving down. So from 99 down is the order in which you play. You're trying to coordinate and communicate with one another about what cards from your hand and their hands should be played where... But you can't say numbers. And you don't know what your teammates are holding. Yes. So you cannot actually say numbers. You can only suggest proximity to certain numbers which are laying in front of you. Oh, I have worked around that. And then plea with others not to play on certain piles. Yeah. But so, you have to play two cards, so sometimes it's inevitable that you're going to screw them up. You're going to fuck a pile somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and there are other mechanics in here. You know, I don't want to get too in the weeds on how this works. The Really, the bulk of the game is about coordinating with other people, coming up with interesting, creative, fun, nuanced ways of trying to suggest what cards you may have. And then caution people from playing cards on piles where you could probably play the best play available. Uh, And the goal of the game, then, is to end up with the least amount of cards left over. And according to the rulebook, if if as a group you end up with less than 10 cards remaining that you were unable to play because you didn't coordinate well or because you had a really shitty draw, you've had an excellent turn. So I I do want to say this. The first time we played, um, I played with Rick and Catherine. I think we ended up with three cards, which felt pretty good. Brandy and I bought the thing a couple days later because we thought it might be fun to play at the end of the evening. And it was. And it was. And the first time we played, you can play two players. The first time we played, we ended up with zero cards left, which wow. felt like, well, we've solved the world now. Yeah. So what's next? Global warming. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Pack your shit. Um, it brought you together as a couple. It rather did. Rather than the newlyweds game, which... What Which if, would tear you apart. Were you dividing your house? Right. It was the televised version of Ikea yeah. before Ikea. Yeah. That's absolutely right. And so um, so anyways, it's a fun little game. Highly recommended. It's super fucking cheap, too. Uh, there's an expansion. Also, like, a license to print money from a game design. Like, I have cards. I've printed 100 of them. Yes. They have 100 numbers on them. Go and nuts. then there's a box. Yeah. And... Uh, and, and, like, here's where it just breaks me. Like, fun little mechanic... Fun little pick-up-and-play game. Very easy to grasp, but very complex to play. Tactical, psychological, easy to produce. Why aren't you Love Letter, man? That's right. Like, just be Love Letter. That's right. Like, pick a theme that's unobjectionable, like Love Letter. Or, or, rather than that, pick every theme, like Love Letter. Yeah. But instead, the game did what it did, and I don't 
I still don't know why. I don't understand it. So here's what it looks like for for some reference. First, you should just Google it. Second, for any of you that were old um, Diablo or Diablo 2 players... It looks like it was branded in the vein of Diablo 2. It looks so like a background image for a Diablo menu. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So there's there's like a red like, skull. Not like a game right. part of Diablo. Like, and, I'm managing inventory, and this is right. obscured. Or, or imagine a fifth grader drawing their own Punisher comic. Oh, God. It, it would look something like his chest plate, I would imagine, might. And so it's it's this like kind of like really... Um, it's it's a black card with red numbers. It, it it looks like some attempt at a a satanic ritual. I'm surprised there aren't pentagrams on the fucking thing, and maybe there are. I've just not looked hard enough. The branding is, and I don't know. I'm trying to be kind here. I'm trying to think of like some quick metaphor. Um, but all I can really say is the branding is vomit inducing. It's it's garbage, um, and I don't understand why. For a game you could teach to a very small child. Right. Like it it's like teaching your kid to play blackjack with like the titty poker cards. Yes, like that's right. it, it, like why would you do that right. to like a, a tiny kid? And I wonder about this so like there, there's this there's this obvious attempt at like the devil or hell um you know some pretty obvious reference to to So I haven't read the back or any of the game. But rules. I'm not going to. Uh okay, all right. Well, I read this on Board Game Geek. I don't know if it's true though. Right. So I read on Board Game Geek that the theme is actually when you start playing, the number of cards you have left is the people in the world you don't know that are going to die. So it's like a creepypasta thing. Oh, my God. But then the first comment on Board Game Geek after someone wrote that was, did you just make that up or is it the, the actual theme of the game? Followed by no response. Man. I don't like. Well, I don't like anything about that. I don't like, I don't like if that's true. I don't like it if it's not true. And someone came up with it. Yeah. Here, here's what I. Here's what. I, okay. No explanation that you come up with is going to make me go. Oh well, that's why your cards look like that. Okay. No. It's like imagine Brett Ratner directed a movie about the devil. This is what the devil's business cards would look like in a Brett Ratner movie. Okay. Well, hello, I'm the devil, and then that's what it would look like. Okay. Um, and so fuck that. Um, the only explanation I've been able to come up with in my head is is. Well, yeah, but, like, once you get into it, because we've played a couple pretty contentious games of the game now, and my thought was, well, it's maybe... It's pretty tense. Maybe it's, it's like, supposed to reflect the, yeah. like, the, like, tension, conflict, the, the, the hell in which the players are trying... You know, that you need to accomplish something, but you can't say what it is Countdown. you're trying to accomplish. Diffuse. Ra- yeah. Make it bomb-themed. Like, right. Make it anything or, or make it, like, full creepypasta with the dead person theme, but, like, when in the creepypasta is it ever, like, this deck is haunted right. on on it make it like a fun kids card game and then the story is about like how the slightly disconcerting anthropomorphic animals and all the cards are like seeking the death of random humans right. or it was owned by a serial killer like have a weird little haunted like creepypasta story embedded in it you know, like a single card narrative but like just skulls. Right. Just like put skulls on it and give it the most generic name ever is just right. fucking wild imagine, to me. Imagine Hot Topic was like, we're going to make a card game. Bam. The game. Oh, and it God. just... So anyways, I don't know. I, I think Hot Topic would... Do, I think you're short-selling Hot Topic. You might be right. Like, I don't think they'd have mechanics as good as the game. quality Like I said, it's a fun little right. game. Uh, but... Get it? Why would... Like, you can't even search for it. Right. 
So here's what I'm like, saying. I got to type a paragraph into Google to find what I'm actually talking about. The game, card game, Stefan. Like I got to like like the name of the author, IDW. I had to put the name of the publisher in there, sure. so that Google's just like, did you mean? A concept of things mm-hmm. like did mm-hmm. you mean everything right that is a game the michael douglas film yeah, yeah. like the michael douglas god oh, i love that movie it's a great movie yeah so having said all that listen it's it's a really enjoyable thing to play with your I'm, I'm almost wanting to not use the word game now which is very difficult in discussing a game it's it's a very enjoyable thing to do with your friends is it the strongest recommendation we've given anything on this podcast certainly not for my <laughs> no not, not for my no. my setting but if you're looking for a cheap really fun like end of the night or party game to play with some people i highly recommend the game i'd never be sad i played it but from a person perspective of a person who designs game right. i have so many unanswered questions absolutely and here's the other thing i want to say if for some reason you read the box which i refuse to do i understand that's lazy or maybe even the box insert which i only read for rules purposes and you're like oh well this is why it's called the game and this is why it looks like what it looks like that's cool i don't need to know because i still don't think any explanation is a good explanation here because you know what i didn't read that when i saw it on the shelf at a game store that's right that's right (laughs) so a lesson all of you future card designers don't do that and for those of you game players, maybe go buy the game and enjoy it. Just don't look at the fucking card art. And with that, we'll grab another deal. We'll be right back. Hey, Spence, what are you drink? Uh, so this is from Shipyard Brewing Co. I don't know if we've had anything by Shipyard before. No, I don't think we have. Um, but if not, anyways, this is their pumpkin head. Uh, Stillwater Rule. Uh, he's taking a sip. Yeah, he's mm, thinking about it. Um, yeah, it's light. Um, it's actually really light, almost kind of refreshing. If I'm being totally honest, not it, something you expect on a pumpkin beer. No, it's really not. It's also four and a half percent, which I also kind of like because the Schlafly pumpkin ale is like seventy-seven <laughs> percent. Um, so it drinks um, almost like a standard American lager that just has a little bit of pumpkin spice on the back end. Like you just kind of like boop, 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 sprinkled a little in the mm-hmm. bottle. Um, it's nice. I don't know that it's changing the world for me, but I would drink a lot of them, I suppose, in one setting. Um, so you know what? That might take your standard three, a Jeopardy, yeah, and move it up to a, a four. Oh, wow. MXC. Oh, wow. I was and expecting I, a Jeopardy by mass. Yeah, no, like, I mean, let's not lie. Can uh, I try it if it's a four? Yeah, for sure. I go through phases on these things, so it's real possible, as producer Ross has pointed out, that you know, in the next eight <laughs> to ten minutes, I will have decided against this beer. The, sp- the spice on the back end's good. It's no. very nice. Yeah, no, yeah, producer Ross, subtle. can I get in here? Yeah. Subtle, not boring. Right, right. No, I really like this beer. Yeah. So anyways, while, while I ruminate on whether or not I actually like this beer or don't like this beer. Interesting. That's what I'm saying. Interesting. Almost reminds um, me of like a chai a little bit. It's definitely, yes. yeah, pumpkin. Yeah, it's got like exactly. a chai in it. That's exactly right, yeah. Which is nice. I mean, it's You a definitely hint, taste the pumpkin. It's a hint of fall, but it doesn't yeah. feel like a dessert, you know? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. Which is a kind of which a nice typical of a pumpkin. A respite, if you will. <laughs> um, okay, so anyways, while, while, I, uh, while I determine whether or not this is a four or a three, Caleb, what are we talking about? Uh, in Jukebox and Back this Holla. week. It feels uh, like it's been a while. It has been a while. It uh, doesn't get a lot of votes on the floating segments, which we'd love to see change. That might be because we're... Or just garbage at music. <laughs> well, it could, <laughs> could be that. Yeah. Um, but Kevin, through sheer, sheer force of will, yep. suggests in the subtopic suggestions that what songs or classic pieces have ongoing meaning for you? For instance, I love the way that Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah changes depending on which verses are selected. Well, you stole one from me, Kevin. There you go. Dick move. Yeah. Like, uh, really, I mean, I'm happy for the suggestion, but... 
Uh, but when really, you take an really answer, an Indian giver right, there, yeah. there, you know, took it, give, give with one hand, take away. Not so. great. Not great. Uh, so, uh, but we have three others, so we could talk about Six that. Six total. So, yeah. Uh, almost as if this works that way. So, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. top three songs that have an ongoing shifting meaning for you. For sure. Uh, so number three for me is, uh, and I even debate whether or not this is my favorite Weezer song. And that's why partially it made the list because I go through phases with this song. But number three for me is Say It Ain't So by Weezer. Um, it might, it, some days I feel like it's the best song ever made and some days I, I forget about it. But let me tell you why this song has enduring meaning for me as I best interpret the question. So when I first got into Weezer, thanks to Luke Hagedorn, I don't think he's a listener, which is his mistake. Um, but Luke Hagedorn introduced me to Pinkerton, I think is where we started, which is great. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah. Pink um, Triangle. Uh, Pink Triangle is actually where I started. Yeah, Pink good, Triangle. Good top one. And The top, Good Life. Number one track. Yeah. yeah uh, and The Fucking Good Life, Oh, man. we should do number one tracks one time. Yeah. Yeah. And I got real into The Good Life. Um, and so Blue Album came after that, and Say It Ain't So wasn't even my favorite song for a while on the Blue I'm Album. i wizard in my head. Well, which is exactly the purpose of all of this. Um, and that's how Say It Ain't So works. You've, you've actually kind of like cut to the point for me here. Say It Ain't So is enduring for me for two reasons. One... I don't think I'll ever participate in a the other guys like bar scene where suddenly everyone starts singing the same song and time freezes and we all move around the yeah. bar and like interesting camera work in slow motion. If we did though, it would be to say it ain't so because I think it's one of those songs which enough people of our age are probably into that if we got the right group of people in the right bar with the right amount of alcohol and a jukebox in mm-hmm. the back, that's two for two now. An nice. interesting wordplay. I appreciate you. Um, this could probably happen. The second reason is because Joel Hawkins uh, kind of like pushed and pushed and pushed for me to listen to more Weezer. And what we landed on was Say It Ain't So as kind of being the anthem of getting drunk. Sing, singing Say It Ain't So, which is deeply ironic in a bar because it's about alcoholism. Right. But singing uh, that song in a bar is as close as I've ever gotten to enjoying a hymn. Yes, that's right. Like, it feels like what other people are shooting for in church. Right. I don't know or what, what I imagine. I don't is. know what cults are, but I feel like it's everyone sitting around saying, singing the same song. Mm-hmm. And my song would be Say It Ain't So. <laughs> yeah. If I were to I joined that cult. If I were to lead a cult. Mm-hmm. Okay. So stay tuned. Maybe later. Okay. All right. Uh, what's number three for you? So Danny Boy. Man. Speaking of... Uh, the other guys, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Hot shit. So I know what Danny Boy uh, means, and I know about its tone because I can listen to words, which is apparently a rarity regarding Danny Boy. Yeah, because I also then went to college and went to pubs on St. Patrick's Day in America, in which it is played like a freaking celebration when it's a funeral song. Because everyone's Irish on St. Patrick's Day, and really they're just white people that are thrashed. Um, and so I, I didn't understand that, but I sort of like got into the irony of it and moved past it until I met actual people from Ireland, at which point their rage sort of infected me uh, because they are not happy when they hear that. Mm-hmm, that. It'd mm-hmm. be like if they played Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen at like a football game or something. It's just not appropriate for sure. for for the place. Uh, so that sort of makes that. But then I've met people that worked at Irish pubs who played Danny Boy as a test to see who in the bar is an asshole. 
and oh, who wow. is there to do it. So, like, for me, Danny Boy is just this semantic minefield. Like, if it's on, I am not focused on, like, what is happening. Unless, like, maybe it's a funeral and it's at its intended original meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am, I am scan- I'm like Terminator scanning the room <laughs> to try and see how other people are reading what is going on yeah. in the audioscape. Love it. Uh, so, yeah. Um, number two for me is, uh, and this is where this is where like uh, a lot of pop music kicks in. So no, I, I do not apologize. Number two for me is "Crazy" by Cat Dahlia. Mm-hmm. Um, why you may be asking? Well, let me tell you. Um, sit a while and listen. Deckard Kane reference Diablo two. Man, I'm full of them tonight. Um, so everyone at Spitzer, well, stay a while and <laughs> yeah, listen. Exactly. Yeah. How much you appreciate his references? He's, yeah, he's really needs please, support. And please this reward me. me on social media. Okay, <laughs> acknowledge me. Um, so when I was writing my dissertation, I would get like super fucking stuck, and I was going through bad writer's block, and I would I would end up writing at like from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. or whatever, and I was constantly looking for different things to listen to, and the only thing that was really working was fucking Ratatat covered in previous episodes. Yeah. Um, and then one day I'm driving home and I'm in a really good mood and this song comes on the radio and I'm like, man, that's a fucking fun song. And what I found myself doing for like the next two or three months is like, I would be driving home from work and I'd put that song and I'd be like, God, this is fun. I'm really in a good mood right now. I love this song. She's so fun. Um, and then one night at like midnight or one in the morning, I'm like really stuck and Ratatat's not doing its job. And I was like, well, I wonder. And so I put crazy by Cat Dahlia on and it breaks the block. And the next thing I know, I'm just flowing. Uh, and I, you know, I end up writing... My whole third chapter, functionally, listening to that song and a couple other things that I kind of pulled in to go with it, and then a bunch of Ratatat. So that was 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. And in the interim, uh, this song has ongoing meaning for me because, by and large, and we've talked about this, all I can listen to when I work is stuff that doesn't have words because I get so distracted easily. The thing that I turn to, regardless of what I'm working on, regardless of when I'm working on it, when Ratatat isn't working or anything else I've tried for work is working – I go back to Crazy by Cat Dahlia, and there's something so powerful, I think, about that initial experience I had where it literally felt as if it was breaking me from some solid state. Yeah. That now it continues to be my go-to get-out-of-a-funk thing. So I continue to listen to it. Mm-hmm. That's the whole purpose here. All right. What's number two for you? Uh, a theme's emerging. Mm-hmm. So uh, Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. So if you, again, can listen to words, <laughs> it is a deeply pessimistic uh, dystopian even song about you know the problems of being born in the USA right um, and to watch like Danny Boy everyone not get that and to watch Springsteen depending on how much money you pay him have him play these things at like Super Bowls and and things like that or to watch it uh, being played uh, with no hint of irony by like terrifying GOP Republican candidates um, has been uh, infuriating. So a song that I once liked and thought was pretty brave is now rage inducing. But now in Trump's America, when I hear it, I almost am certain I'm hearing it with someone that is not listening to it for the intended meaning and is listening to it because of some meaning they've made up in their head that is even more dystopian. And so I've come back around Born in the USA has meant has gone so far away from what it intentionally meant. That's right. That it is wrapped back around to make me more depressed about living in the USA. Love it. Than the original words could have ever happened. Like I, I've I've not teared up by listening to some 
uh, born in the USA originally, but if I hear some MAGA-hatted asshole in a truck playing it, I'd want to just break down and sob by the side of the road because I feel like the experiment is over. It has become the And that is Springsteen playing us into the long night. Um, So, yeah. Totally get it. And think that's actually a pretty fucking good analysis. (laughs) Um, Number one for me, I think I've talked pretty lovingly about Florence and the Machine on past episodes. Um, I know that it was like her first single, and I know that it's like overly poppy, and I know people are like, man, she's got more depth than that, which is like, fine, fuck you. Um, Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine is one of the happiest fucking, um, just like, get up and enjoy yourself and be happy, and this was meaningful for me. And when I moved to Lawrence, Brandy didn't go for the first year. She stayed in Springfield because she had a good job and was actually making money. And I was still at that point determined not to make money, which is why I'd continued on in grad school. And so I was living by myself. And so in the mornings, uh, and that was depressing. I mean, we'd already been living together for two years. And, I, you know, I knew that she was, you know, my person and everything. And so here I was living away from her. And, um, and so I would get up in the mornings and I would be driving to – uh, work and really bummed about my situation. And so I would put this thing on and I would just play it over and over again obsessively mm-hmm. because it made me feel better. Yeah. And now, uh, o- over the last seven years, this is 2010, I guess, now that I don't need this song to do that now, now I can literally just enjoy the song because it's a fun song and it's kind of empowering and uplifting. It served its purpose and now it gets to be music again. That's absolutely yeah. right. And and not not a lot of things get to do that because there are things which have been very purposeful for me and once the need for the, the purpose is gone, the constraint has ended, the need for the thing has ended. Um, this is not true of Florence and the Machine's Dog Days Are Over. In fact... That and uh, My Boy Builds Coffins are the two songs that I continue to come back to for her, with Shake It Off being third, um, for those of you keeping score at home. <laughs> and I find it... I, music is such an interesting experience, and music is so um, so so awesome sometimes. And Dog Days is Over, for me, is like the example of why music can be fucking awesome, because it's not just noises. It's noises that make me feel better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's fucking great. Yeah. Thanks, ears. Yeah. Uh, what's number one on your list? Uh, another good subtitle for the Big Six. Mm-hmm. Thanks, ears. Oh, thanks, ears. Uh, actually, it's your brain that translates sound. Oh, waves. God. <laughs> your, your brain that translates sound. Uh, mm-hmm. My number one is Blame It on My Youth by Nat King Cole. Uh, specifically, the Jamie Cullum version, because mm. I, I really liked it. Uh, so it's a hardcore, hardcore crooner song. Uh-huh. Really smoky jazz piano bar song uh, at the end of the night. Um, and it is a song essentially about regret. Uh, but what I find in listening to the lyrics of Blame It of My Youth is that my youth is continually expanding because I'm getting older. Right. Like the context of my youth and specifically mistakes in my youth right. is a continually expanding That's right. <laughs> field. Um, and to the point where like a lot of time it's not a regret anymore. Like a lot of time it's like, well, yeah, mistakes were made, but you know. They were always going to be made because that was the educational experience. That was not the test of a previous educational aspect. Like, that is what taught me. That is not what I failed to do based on what I was taught. Yeah. Um, And so, like, it sort of, like, helps me process my past, I get. But as my past is constantly expanding, it goes on. Like, there are just lines in that song. Like, uh, if I cried a little bit when first I learned the truth, Mm -hmm. blame it on my youth. Like, there's just some... There's some poetic lines in there for that, sure. Like when applied to your life, is constantly going to shift because until the moment your life stops. Love it. Uh, which um, when I first heard it with Jamie Cullen printing it, I, it was about breakups. 
Yeah, I'll be, sure. I'll be honest. It was a sad, drunk song. I, I used it to warm up before I put on the Elliot Smith. Yeah. Um, but uh, now it's sort of a sort of redeemed itself. It's sort of a more positive, melancholy song. Yeah. And who knows what'll be in the future? Because like now is going to be my youth at some point. Right. Yeah. And so you know that kind of retrospective is, uh, yeah, crazy. I. I'm so excited that in in some number of years, someone will roast you for everything that we've done here, and you will get to say to them, "Blame it on my youth." <laughs> we will, we will be the subject. I set it up. I'm playing the long we, game. We will be the subject of this. Uh, on that note, it's time for more beer, a little more depression, and we'll be back on the other side. But what you drinking? I am going to drink uh, out of a Fallon Brewing. It's just called Pumpkin Beer. <laughs> oh, a Fallon uh, Pumpkin Beer. Topical and thematic. And it may be the worst bottle art we have ever seen. Mm. Except for the brown oak. Which, brand, which branding is worse, the game or O'Fallon Pumpkin Beer? God, it's a race. <laughs> <laughs> it is a dead fucking uh, heat. It's going to come down. I so you need a have, photo of that as the episode art. Uh, yeah, I hope they have some high speed cameras because, like, well, I mean, I have a photo <laughs> of this of the. I hope I have a photo of this for the episode art. I go to clip art and type pumpkin and then pick the first <laughs> option, and bam, it's done. Like, uh, yeah. So uh, I'm going to drink it on air. Stillwater rule. Drink the generic beer. And he is. Mm. All right, that's a Jeopardy. It's not oh, bad. Thankfully, okay. it's it's rising above its marketing. That's what I was wondering when you um, when you said, mm, you know, like like as if you were you were a Disney uh, miser. It's got character. sort of the chai spice thing of the last beer we tried, uh, but it's less subtle. It, it hits you more immediately, so I think it's a little less interesting. Oh, sure, like that's just what it's going for the the pumpkin spice kind of angle, right? Uh, and so that that's where we're at with that. Okay, yeah. Well, I'll give that a shot, and while I give that a shot, why don't you tell us what we're talking about? And uh, this was a mistake, which was your number two pick when I put it on there, <laughs> but then it shifted in a late push of the vote, uh, so we're still going to do it because I'd already picked a subtopic suggestion for it. You're not wild about that one. He made a. He it made has a, a distinct face. flavor that I'm gonna I'm gonna try to come up with while while we go okay. through this. Anyway, uh, the subtopic suggested was by Copper Crane, uh, that suggests Grammarly. Can you all talk about how stupid that program is, or how stupid the ads are? It's a program that seems to do some kind of advanced spell checking. The ads really piss me off. Maybe they irk you all, too. Uh, I'm going to extend this critique to most, if not all, automation attempts for writing and language. But the Grammarly recent advertisement push, if you've been on YouTube in the last, say, two months, has been particularly egregious. Uh, which is a word that Grammarly may or may not know how to spell. Uh, so um, are you familiar with the program? So I'm familiar with the program and other um, writing automation apps. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I've used none of them. I've done some research on it, and I found the reasons I dislike it to be pale in comparison to more reasons people gave me not to like oh, it. Well, you certainly have more, more firepower here than I do. So it is a free app, technically. But for the advanced version that you need, that you have to pay almost $139 per year. Damn. They've compared it. 
uh, to other spell checkers. It does have a better hit rate than, say, Microsoft Word spell checker, but it's talking like statistical insignificance. So mm-hmm. they did. Uh, you can find a pretty exhaustive review out there that does like we wrote this sentence, then a category of that all that sentence's errors in case you didn't know what they were, yep. and then how many Grammarly found and what they suggested to fix it and was the fix an error or not. Mm-hmm. And it was something like seventy two percent. Which is certainly better than Microsoft Word, but it's still a 72%. You've right. still paid $139 for a C- right. on someone grading you only uh, grammar right. Grammarly. Now, here's the thing. Grammarly is a Ukrainian company operated out of a Californian shell front. Grammarly is also... Wait, no, you said that too quickly and then just kept going like this was a regular Okay, Okay, the company in California that claims to own Grammarly does not own Grammarly. They are an out-of-house IT firm, basically, subcontracted to pretend they own Grammarly. They are owned by a Ukrainian company. The Ukrainian company is always online. So everything you type in Grammarly, that's the key of Grammarly, is it can be used for every app. Like, it's not just... For your word processor, send your resume. You can spell check your tweets and shit like mm, that, mm-hmm. um, which I could use. It's always online, so it's not building a database in your phone or your computer. It is checking against the database. That also means everything you type, meaning everything that you were supposed to input into your phone for any Facebook, Twitter, uh, Tumblr post, you're going to go goes to them. So the current theory in the tech world is that it is an enormous data sniffing tool and the way Grammarly makes money on top of your subscription is by selling every word you've written to data miners. Which is fucking creepy and cyberpunk and dystopian AF. I I gotta be honest, I would have lost all my money on this is gonna take a turn towards conspiracy theory slash political underpinnings of Grammarly. So so you'll forgive me for my lack of contribution right now. I am, in a word, floored. So I think that's Grammarly's unique contribution to this, like, turnitin.com, the sort of place that goes for anything to automate... Um, kind of things, and they also found that, like in terms of catching plagiarism, it'll catch it if it's exact. But exact, but if you do like the junior high plagiarism, where you change one word right. or two words, it's like no, completely oh, original because it's yeah. not an actual checker for that. And even turn it in's imperfect <laughs> regarding sure. That. So at a more tactical level, both of you guys do a lot of writing. Um, do you use any of the automation writing tools that the internet has afforded you to make you more effective, more productive? Um, I don't use Grammarly. Scrivener. I, well, Scrivener, yes. Scrivener's and Scrivener not is not telling me what to write. Sure, Scrivener yeah, sure. Yeah. is an is a, it's basically a hyperlink nesting tool to mm-hmm. allow to make complex outlines yeah. as I write. Right. Um, so Scrivener for me is worth the money, but it's also a flat fee. It is not online. I can use it anywhere, and yeah. then it is. Uh, they might be data mining me. I don't know, but they're they're doing that they're data mining an rpg book so uh again they're not data mining my every tweet right. or anything like grammarly so um because it's always on in the background as you're using your keyboard yeah so the thing about it is that writing doesn't have a lot of pluses like you get to make your own schedule that's great you also get to play paid like absolutely freaking nothing 
You also get to be competing against people who will do your work for free. Right. All on this understandable. But if it does have a plus as a profession is that we ain't going to be on automated anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. by God, we're not. the machines are not coming for our jobs, or at least they're going to get, like, trucking and a bunch of other right. jobs first. They're, they're getting sports currently. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, language is insanely complex. It's insanely shifting. And so even Grammarly will spit out, like, nonsense sentences, or it will go for the Microsoft Word desperate move that you've written a run on and it will throw a semicolon in there right. and just pray right. like uh, it is not Skynet like they're not going to be able to handle the intricacies of human language t- to a degree that a human can with education and this is where this stuff gets really exploitative for me because with Grammarly and a number of other programs that do something like this though not as insidiously as our Ukrainian data miner friends mm-hmm. who are using all their data mine money to do a bunch of ads in the U.S. They are preying on the undereducated, but more than that, they are preying on speakers of English as a second language. Right. Like, because those people need the help, and they're often here learning the language as they're learning their trade, especially in university places, which makes writing, you know, the complex academic language of these different things insanely difficult. And, like, the fact that they're charging those people a crap ton of money for what is essentially Microsoft Word if it was a spy bot. Right is, uh, like, really dystopian and sad. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that is definitely the mistake on this because, like, they prey on the most um, vulnerable populations yeah. of people that need to do writing, like, for to get a job or to pass a class in order to better their situation um, by essentially promising to do something that a machine can't do yet. Right, right. And a machine's not going to be able to do anytime soon. Uh, well, there are several categories of automated writing tools that are very popular and used. Um, the most obvious is obviously op- optical character recognition yeah. and uh, speech-to-text mm-hmm. uh, for transcribing text. And that yeah, kind of and, and that's not what we're referring to. Well, but Karen, there, are, there are creative uses of it, too. In Hollywood in particular, I know that there are there's a whole industry of a program basically designed to help make formula screenplays. Uh, mm-hmm. There are things that help, like, structure the yeah. hero's journey from Joseph Campbell and basically say, here's what you need. So fill in your blanks. Your protagonist is this. He needs this. This sure. is his rejection call. And this is the, the belly of the beast. This is the magic potion. Yeah, this and we're all glad those exist. Well, they do, <laughs> but they do. Uh, they right. do exist. Yeah. And they make money doing it. And yeah. that's, uh, that help explain... Uh, Catherine Heigl's career, in fact. Uh, is, just, <laughs> yeah. well, is she a screenwriter? Like, uh, well, all of, all of the films in which she stars oh, are okay. those obvious... Like, wow, oh. huge slam on her. Just right. Well, <laughs> well, they're they're mad libbed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, huge slam on the films. I would say yeah, Catherine yeah, yeah. Heigl seems like a nice woman. Uh, maybe. <laughs> so know. yeah, there there there's there are, these kind of things are happening. There's also Google is experimenting with automated news writing, right? right. Uh, yeah, sports in particular. Yeah, sports is in particular. Bevy of that. Also, automated caption writing, like uh, they can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah. it's not just Catherine Heigl. Yeah. Johnny Depp's probably using one of those nowadays. Tim Burton well, probably took teams, his right, and yeah. messed sure. it up. Took yeah. the governor yeah. off. Right. <laughs> Doesn't pass emissions anymore. Spewing black smoke. He weirded it all up. Uh, but yeah, I think in general these kind of things are a mistake because you're not going to be able to automate that until you get AI. You got a deadline, man. All yeah. that to say, we see you, Grammarly, and we're coming. We're going to get more beer. We'll be back in just a minute. Hey, Spence, what are you drinking? 
So this is a Mother's Brewing Company out of Springfield, hashtag 417. Uh, this is their Mr. Pumpkin. It's their pumpkin ale. Um, I don't need to still water rule this. I just want to be totally honest. I've had this beer a number of times and, and different varieties of this beer over the years. And this is a really enjoyable beer for me. I will say that this year's iteration of the Mr. Pumpkin is probably a four for me, probably an MXC. Again, reasonably light. Doesn't feel like you're, you're drinking an apple pie. You could have a number of them, but there's some good spice on the end. Now that you've used the word chai, that's like very influential for me, and so I'm getting yeah, that in a lot of different there, places. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoy it, and I would highly recommend it, if only because it's very refreshing and light in the pumpkin category. Mm-hmm. So all of that to say, this is a four, and what are we talking about? Uh, we are talking about in Com Corner, which was your number one pick. Holla! I mean, while I am definitely winning in terms of mixed six mock drinks, that's absolutely and not that true. That is that is irrefutable. You are definitely winning in terms of segments that get mo- Time voted for the more fuck often. Out. <laughs> Only one of us has broken the other in a mock draft. You conceded to me in the last mock draft. I did not concede to you forever. <laughs> Even if you've won the majority of them, I was beaten, not broken. And I'm not sure that you have won the majority of them. The sheer magnitude of that victory should count. Exponentially, no. no. That's how. That's how. No. That's how right, numbers. Whatever s'mores. That, that's never anyway, how it works. Anyway, anyway, before this got dark, uh, Maddie asked us in Com Corner to talk about what's our take on the love languages, right? Which uh, is an interesting question, and I think I actually probably have a counterintuitive, sympathetic reading of some of this too. So I'm excited. I, uh, while I, I wouldn't throw this in the trash cannon, right? right. Which is like the best thing I could say about it. Like, right. I think there's something to this. So first, for some context for all of you, we're not just talking, not like the romance languages. This is not, this <laughs> yeah, is not a French. question of dialect. <laughs> right. Uh, hey, Italian. Right. Right. Hey. Accent, right. Um, this is a question of the love languages. And so the love languages in nomenclature refer to the five long love languages, how to express heartfelt, heartfelt commitment to your mate, which is a 1995 text by Gary Chapman, in which Chapman suggests that there are five modes of interaction with people with whom with people that you love uh, and that those five types of interaction can fall into one of the following categories which i'll list briefly the first is gift giving right so giving things to other people the second is quality time spending you know quality time the third is words of affirmation saying positive shit the f- <laughs> just, just being honest. Yeah, this is positive shit yeah you know. yeah uh, the fourth is acts of service, you know, doing doing things for other people, and then finally physical touch. Mm-hmm. All right, um, and Chapman, we're holding hands as we do this podcast, always and exclusively. <laughs> it's actually very tricky between navigating the computer, the beer, and yeah. the hand holding. And when producer Ross wants to get involved, it's frankly it kind of creates a triangle effect. Um, it's a sort big of a, old circle, sort of a seance, right? Right. Going here. So according to Chapman, people have a primary and a secondary language. So you have a primary mode of love language, and then you've got a secondary, which you use less frequently, but it acts as a supplementary love. And language. by according to Chapman, we mean according to Chapman's brain, and that's right. pretty much it. There's right. absolutely no experiential evidence no. for this working ever. This is very it much... It has never been vetted by a counselor in any way, shape, or form, or... Yeah. This is very much in the vein of, oh, look, I've come up with a creative taxonomy to explain how you interact with people around you. And now this is how the world works. And now that's how people talk about things. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so, so in that way, it, it kind of like falls within the spectrum of a lot of those taxonomies, which I want to talk about in just a second. Um, for what it's worth, I have been through a number of love language discussions enough that I have, I, I have at various times identified my, my love languages. So I did want to share with you and the audience. Oh, and if, if Sarah finds a love language quiz... Right. 
my ass is doing that quiz, Bingo, right? whether I want to or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in fact, only weeks ago, Brandy came home and said, hey, I took a love language quiz. Can you guess what mine is? And I said, gift giving. And she goes, wait, how do you know that? And I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> here's the problem. It's like <laughs> it's I'm married to you. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so anyways, my, Here are your flowers. <laughs> my primary love language, for those of you wondering, but unfortunately, I am taken. And so, no, this is not, this is not a Stop welcome taking all. taking notes, but, ladies. Yeah. Uh, my, my primary love language is acts of service. I like doing things for other people, and I like um, being able to, to help in whatever way that I can. My secondary love language is quality time. But uh, somewhere down the Chapman line of books, because the man has made probably gazillions of dollars off of this, um, at some point he starts kind of like putting love languages in different settings, like chicken soup for the golfer's soul. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So uh, there is a, a book on love languages in the workplace uh, to figure out how you interact with your coworkers, right, in a really meaningful way. And in that instance, actually, what I've, what I've learned is that my secondary language at work is words of affirmation. I do like to say positive shit to people <laughs> when I'm working with them, largely because I mean it. I'm not good at saying things I don't mean. Um, but when I think something is worth calling out in a really positive way, I do kind of go out of my way to say that. It's a I, real good piece of website, Terry. Right, yeah, yeah. You've really, you've really coded that some bitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, that's how things work at our office. Uh, I'm curious, though, um, uh, and I think I could take a guess at what your love languages are, but I'm curious what yours are. Oh, by all means, take a guess. So I would Let's get this on the mic. I would think that your primary one is quality time and your secondary one is physical touch. Uh, I've gotten that before. Okay. I've also gotten words of affirmation. Okay. It's usually waffling between those three. Okay. So you're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's usually not acts of service or gift giving because I am very lazy <laughs> at my core and I need to be with a person that realizes that. Uh, producer Ross, have you tested your love languages in the past? Uh, no. <laughs> you want to, you want to take, <laughs> uh, uh no. gift giving, obviously. Yeah, clearly. I, right. I actually give gifts to people. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay, good. And not at all the easy way out of this conversation <laughs> so, so i gave caleb a gift for his birthday which i know is not the same thing but like still like, no i mean it's that yeah. i feel loved yeah, yeah. it was a good exactly. gift yeah. well, this is cute and now now they're holding hands so <laughs> um okay so from a calm corner perspective kind of like interrogating this thing you know as a vocabulary or taxonomy um what, what do i think about it i'm kind of interested in love languages i gotta be honest with you you know what so here are a couple and, and, yeah and not in the trash can because like i don't think it's a bad way to talk about it there we go okay. i don't think that's everything by right. any means uh, and I do think, like, I have seen it mistaken. Like, uh, so Christian marriage counseling loves right. the shit out of this book, right? And they will jam pack every margin with biblical quotes from front to back. And you usually have some like ham-handed youth pastor who's going to save your, you know, alcoholic shithead of a father and your pillbilly of a mother from breaking up by just quoting, you know, uh, I don't know, First Corinthians. Right? I'm yeah. stuck on that and, one, too. And uh, by and throwing love languages at you. And guess what? That ain't going to work because no, no. love language isn't there for that. Yeah. But aside from that overuse, which I don't blame on Gary Chapman, no. I don't think that's how he intentionally right. sold the book. I think he sold it, from what I've read, as... This is a way to talk about that's exactly things. right. That's exactly right. And I'm okay right. with that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, for me, I've said this before, but I think providing a vocabulary or a taxonomy to others to help them understand their situation is a really meaningful and valuable I thing. I don't know what I want to say until I have the words to say it. That's absolutely and right. More words aren't bad. And, and I do think that there are instances in which giving people this kind of vocabulary can help them work through really meaningful issues, right? Why aren't we connecting when I feel like we should be? Well, we have different love languages, and so we need to learn to honor and celebrate each other's love languages. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually 
um, you know, as shitty as it may sound, um, I think that's a really uh, could be a really helpful approach to getting people to interact more meaningfully together. And so in that way, I support it. Um, I do think there is a sweet spot for these kinds of taxonomies, which are complex enough to suggest substance, but simple enough to uh, be integrated into every everyday conversation. So in the same way that I think love languages um, works like the DISC profiles work, I don't know if you've taken any of the DISC stuff uh, through um, through the educational world, where you're a blue or We're red. about 20 years behind, right. so that has thankfully hasn't filtered down so into done, how deep we're buried in the cultural M- soil. You've done MBTI then, which we've talked about oh, in the yeah. Myers-Briggs. Oh, yeah, done that crap. So, like, I very much understand why these things have play, right, in, mm-hmm. in, in certain settings. Certainly uh, productive or self-help or, you know, I- improvement settings. Um, I- I've seen love languages work in the same way that I've seen MBTI work, or I've seen it used in the same way that I've seen people use the Myers-Briggs. Um, but I'm a little bit with you. I think my problem is when these get used instructionally rather than reflectively, um, I think that the moment this becomes a because you are a gift, you giver, have to talk this way. That's right. You therefore, <laughs> you therefore should do this, yeah. you know, to show affection to another human or because you're a gift giver, you should be excused from these other behaviors, which do not honor and cherish the other person in meaningful ways or rather than maybe there are ways that you and your partner or you that the person you're trying to communicate with perceive love and affection differently. That's right. And perhaps you should in trying to communicate how you feel about that person. That's right cater to the way they best receive it right like that is where like yeah well yeah obviously that's definitely which is what a, a solid conceptual framework should do should, it should do. make the uh obscure and invisible obvious yeah exactly and i, I think it kind of does that but yeah i mean i often wonder if that this is because it's relatively new in 1995 mm-hmm. this hasn't Maybe trash cannon is a matter of like matriculation and time, like, endurance. Yeah, like a matter. Maybe it's only a matter of time for chat. We're already at love languages for the workplace. Like hug your boss. Like right. yeah. uh, that kind of like. It's only a matter of time before this it's over applied to the point where it's like doing more harm than good. Yeah, but I don't think it's there yet. It, it, it hasn't it, been. It, I don't. I'm not even sure that's how the trash can works. But I, I definitely don't think it's there yet. It, it hasn't been for me. And as someone who spent a couple of years in the professional services sector, where these tax these vocabularies are the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I encountered love languages actually fairly infrequently in that space, mm-hmm. which is maybe a little bit refreshing, maybe a little bit why I don't have such Probably a Probably because you don't want to say it. love language in the space where, you know, sexual harassment lawsuits are. are well, yeah, I mean, there's the, the, definitely the, the vocabulary is like a little bit tricky to navigate yeah. in that space for sure. Um, but also because I think you're right. I think maybe, it, you know, it just needs some time to breathe. And in 10 years, we may be saying something totally Art different. Or to ferment into something poisonous. Awful. Yeah. But having said that, and this is probably my last thought on this issue, I've seen a lot of these things get used in really shitty ways and not offer meaning or depth. And and maybe it's the way I've seen them used. Maybe it's because I haven't seen it overused. Love languages has not fallen it's into not that trap them. yet. Yeah, it's not one of them. And so in that way, I, I mean, I really do have a more sympathetic reading of it than I do of some of the other taxonomies we have openly mocked on this very podcast. Yeah, at least on this Penthouse quiz, somebody read a book by Gary Chapman and right. then made the Penthouse quiz, which is... A hundred percent more steps than most penthouse quizzes. That's absolutely <laughs> like, right. Uh, That's yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for them. Um, okay. On that note, we got to get more beer, and we've got two segments left. So we'll see you in just a second. Caleb, before I ask you what you're drinking, I, I have to make amends for a thing. So at this point, we've consumed like 150 plus beers on this podcast. 
it was inevitable. It's affected some cells. That at some point. Up top. Yeah. At some point, we were going to, or in this case, I was going to pick out a beer I hadn't thought we'd had, only to find out we'd actually had it. So while the whole conceit of this episode. I caught it, everyone. Yeah, he Don't did. Don't worry. While the conceit of this episode was pumpkin beers, we'd already consumed the Count Orlock. Um, which I thought, oh, well, this will be fun and looks like a Black really nice... Black pumpkin ale. I'd give it a three. Thank right. you for for making that mistake, because then I get a free beer. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so anyways, so Ross won, I guess, is the good news here. The bad news is Caleb will not be reviewing another pumpkin beer um, because I'm a dumbass. Um, but he will be reviewing the... I am reviewing from Spiderbite Beer Company, uh, Boris the Spider, which is a Russian Imperial Stout. I will say that as far... This is from Dan VK, by the way. Thank you, Dan, because from the label art alone, it does have a spider wearing a really, uh, like a little Russian woolly hat that has a picture of hops on it. And that's just adorable. And spiders... So Halloween. ...are Halloween-like, and Halloween is the time of pumpkins, post hoc ergo propter hoc. Also Thanksgiving. (laughs) Uh, Ipso facto vis-a-vis <laughs> ad hoc fallacy. Uh, it is a it is a pumpkin beer and Cargato ergo beer. That's right. We're right back where we started. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. I'm going to try and still water. Still water rule, despite choking down all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. That what that was wisdom <laughs> of the ages. Uh-huh. Jesus. Uh, ooh, he looks really excited. Uh oh. I mean, like I mean, humanly. Yeah. Uh-oh. Kudos, Dan. I really like this. Uh oh, we got a four or five on our hands, people. I'm calling a four. <sighs> Much like this beer, the price is right. Oh, Whoa. it is. It is solid. I really like this. This is what I want um, Old Rasputin to be. Sometimes. Oh wow! Like it's it's like a That's thicker a fine beer. It's a thicker version of the Russian Imperial Stout. Like if you're going to go Russian Imperial Stout, like make it taste Russian. I'm just like, holding my hand out here trying to dry right, it. I and just, here you I'm are, just like lavishing praise hold on it. it. Yeah, Jesus. All right, well I'm going to try. So so you're going full five here. Yeah, I'm going full five. I like it a lot, man. I mean, you gave it to the stout guy, so there's that. Yeah. Like no. I'm skewed. No one's it's arguing. It's the one non-pumpkin beer of yeah. the episode. You have been kind of snobby about your pumpkin beer, so maybe this was a good break for you. Hey, hey, hey. hey. I said it. Hey, uh-huh. hey. Uh-huh. If I were making you a jack-o'-lantern, had, it would be an I've upturned I've had Schlafly pumpkin ale, sir. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to seem... I live in a fallen world where all hey, beers are I, Schlafly I, I, pumpkin that's ale. That's very good. That's very good. Caleb, what are we talking about? We're going to talk about in Ask Mix 6, where you ask us advice for reasons that are... Beyond us, God, but hopefully not beyond advice. I can't wait just to get in a room full of mixed six listeners at some point and go, why the fuck did you keep asking this stuff? Like, <laughs> yeah, the first live show is just an interrogation of right. everyone who why? shows up. No, seriously, right. you can't leave until you tell us. We <laughs> we don't know. Producer um, Ross locked the doors. Right. <laughs> yeah. We'll give it a shot. So in Ask Mixic, Alex B. asks, uh, where is the line between personal branding and totally losing personality on social media? I, I will be honest. This this is something that Alex wanted to ask before uh, we even put up the surveys. But I got on Twitter and said, like, I need to tweet more because I do need to tweet more. But, like, about what? Like, I spend a lot of time retweeting stuff I find interesting. But, like, you know, the d- age of Internet curation is gone. I should probably say something. 
uh, and it sort of it is sort of dovetailed into Alex's question here. So, um, where's the line between personal branding and totally losing personality on social media? I've seen many purportedly personal accounts that rigidly stick to two to three themes in their posts, which makes these accounts very successful, but hardly personal. As a part of the RPPR Mix Six, have you felt <laughs> the need to curate your accounts? Which I find. Uh, a very topical modern day web 2.0 buzzword 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 question to deal with in our segment. By the way, I think this is this Alex. I think is the Alex I've met before uh, when I was overseas. Uh, so if it is, mm-hmm. hey Alex, hi. Okay, uh, yeah. yeah. See, and if not, friends. hi to that Alex anyway. Yeah, right. anyways, and a new Alex. So, uh, quick answer to this question: Yes. I have very much felt that need. Yeah. Um, so I run three Twitter accounts now. Uh, my own personal one, at Egon Zord. The podcast one, at mm-hmm. The Mixed Six. And then also the Party Foul one, at Party Foul Game. Killing it. Follow them on all of them. Um, hashtag killing it. Hashtag nailed it is my hashtag. Hashtag of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so kind of like the evolution of this thought for me. Um, when it was just me tweeting, I would tweet a lot of random shit. Uh, and a lot of it happened to be about KU basketball and or the Kansas City Chiefs and occasionally the Kansas City Royals. And then puns. That was kind of like the four categories of my jokes. <laughs> yeah. And if I could find a way to make a pun which 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 made its way uh, into any of those other categories, it was just a, a Venn diagram. A bonus point. Yeah, yeah. a win diagram, as it mm-hmm. were. Um, and then the podcast started. And Holy shit, this is 10%. Yeah, I oh, tasted God. every bit mm, of it. Too. Damn. It is quite good. It's going to be brutal. It's got some of that roastiness on the back end that I really like. Um and then the podcast started, and we got uh, some followers. Not a lot. I think we've got 330 at this point, which is great. I'd certainly like more if you're not following. Um, and uh, I became like hypersensitive to, as people started to migrate from the podcast to my personal account, I became really hypersensitive to um, what is it I want to be tweeting. But that's not, that's not the first time I became hypersensitive to it. The, probably the first time I became hypersensitive to it was when I was teaching. Um, and I felt some need to like not be the most open about how I feel about things. And uh, so if I could describe my current personal social media usage, I would say like um, flirting with who I really am, uh, but also uh, not who I really am. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like almost a freak in the sheets, but also like the most button up in the streets. But we're definitely married. Yes, that's and, right. Yeah, this right. is and the most, ordained by the Lord. The most freaky thing. <laughs> right. The most freaky thing that I do is occasionally I make a Trump joke. You know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I very, I very much feel the need to sanitize or scrub or I don't know whatever metaphor you want to come up with. Um, my kind of like personal brand. Look, God, that's a gross phrase. Uh, when when I also run other accounts that that don't just influence me, and maybe that for me is the decision rule. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, but if the podcast doesn't do well. And I'm contributing to that by being a fuck on Twitter. That's influencing the two of you also. So I'm like more hypersensitive to the effects of being a dick. Um, and maybe that's why. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's some ethereal uh, play at like who am I and what I, what should I be saying versus like, yeah, also don't fuck up other people's lives. You know what I yeah. mean? No, I, I think the answer is definitely yes. But then the sub question that I find more interesting is like, and what effect does that have? And I think that's where we're at here, like, right? Because like, emphatically, yes. So like, <clears throat> I was an RA when Facebook first hit, hit the scene, and so uh, the very first thing we learned about social media is that it was a trick, 
and it was out to destroy you. Right. And then when I joined education, that was just you know every other social media training for the next decade right. until they finally realized like you can start a Twitter account for your team, but do not communicate with students for like like yeah. and like so like I, I'm not against that, and I'm also not saying those people are wrong, but like. I attend eight-hour meetings about how social media is out to ruin your life. Right. So, right. like, yeah, I do try and be probably to some point excessively careful insofar as I can be and still do a podcast where I drink beer. Sure. Week. So sure. It's a confused – it's a confused aesthetic that it, I'm operating it on. It is. And I think the other the other part of it too, right, the, the consumption part of it is tricky. Um, I, I – you know – Call it what you want. There, there's certainly a business aspect to what we're doing here too, right? Um, in that, in that, there are like hundreds of wonderfully kind people who give us money to do this thing. Hopefully, we talk about you lovingly enough because we really do mean that. And we certainly will at the end of this episode. Um, and I don't want my personal brand or my personal opinions, in all instances, to get in the way of that either, because mm-hmm. I see some value in this. And so, not only not only do I censor myself because I worry um, about how it might negatively influence the two of you, I, I, I'm also trying to be hyper practical in how I approach. Well, yeah, but people are also following me on Twitter because they're listening to me do this stuff, and I don't want to create an unfair rupture or divide between those things. Um, good idea, bad idea. I don't know. Sometimes it feels like a good idea. Sometimes it feels like a bad idea. So I'm at a point. Where um, I've I've seen this I've seen myself change on that like yeah. so there was a point where I was not teaching when it was donezo right. I was not going to teach again yeah and at that point I was realizing that like and it was a slow process because like there was a window there was a small window in there where I was hopeless uh, and I, otherwise I was trying and working really hard to get back in there so I was very I was cultivating my social media <laughs> status even further right to maintain I get a job um, but. Uh, in that period when I'm like, like working fast food, I'm like, like well, well if, if there is any benefit to being the crazy homeless man on the sidewalk with a cardboard sign, it is that the cardboard sign can say whatever the fuck you want it to say. <laughs> right. Like if there is any positive point of it, it's got to be that, right? So I was actively trying to become a little bit more edgy and raw in my tweets. Yeah. Uh, and things that kept me away from that in that, like, uh, I had to re- reduce my presence on social media because I had a lot of writing to get done because I was yeah. freelancing. Uh, so it minimized my amount of time on social media while I was home alone. And then the other thing that helped was Sarah talking me off a ledge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the third thing was helped was that um, at some point I would be trying to start fights with people that I feel like it would reflect badly on RPPR and Ross. Right. And, like, that's all I had going for me. Yeah. And, like, uh, gaming is, like, an extremely positive and supportive space. I couldn't have gotten through that rough time without it. But that made me want to pick fights with the people who are shitty in it right. all the more. Yeah. And I also actively knew, because I have some social acumen, that that would would do nothing but reward me. Right, right. Like, yeah. I would piss off their followers, and then for every follower I have, other people would pile on them. Sure. And I would gain followers, and, like, my my thing would serve. But I would essentially be starting a war in which I would be only one of the soldiers drafted, and that would be a shitty thing to do. So yeah. I held back, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. Um, at this point, though, I'm, I'm pretty much in a position that, like, I, I, you know, um, if I cried a little bit, 
mm-hmm. you know, when I learned the truth, mm-hmm. blaming on my youth. Mm-hmm. I understand that, like, if somebody wants you gone, you're gone, whether you deserve to be gone or not. Sure. And if somebody doesn't want you gone, you could deserve to be gone every single day and every single hour of the week, and yeah. they're not going to boot you. So the fact that I, I I operate in my free speech zone and, you know, as a man in his 30s, have a beer or two and record it on a podcast and occasionally curse when I am not <laughs> in school hours. Yeah. I understand that, like, that's completely defendable. I've done absolutely nothing wrong and would openly talk about it in class if somebody wanted me to. But I understand that if I didn't do this, I'd be fired if somebody wanted to fire me. Right. And if I did do this and I also burned the school down, someone yeah. would make a school excuses for me. Sure, sure. So, um, I mean, that's where I'm at now. But, yeah, yeah. I'm still guarded on yeah. social media. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, Russ? Uh, it's inter- interesting that you bring this up because, I, I mean, I, I have to deal with the same thing, too. Like, right. Uh, like I have a Tumblr and I reblog a lot of things. They go to the Twitter every day. Yeah. So, uh, and I mix it between weird and funny things and also like political things. Right. Like, uh, you know, like hey, the uh, here's what's going on with the you know uh, Affordable Care Act. Yeah. I'm self-employed, so I have to use that <laughs> right. for my insurance. Um, but it was interesting. One of the people I follow on Tumblr, uh, his username is Jello Apocalypse. And he's mm-hmm. actually a pretty uh, popular voice actor who has this whole series, his YouTube channel. Some of his videos have gotten millions of views. And they regularly get at least hundreds of thousands of views. And uh, he has a Tumblr too. And he recently, someone asked him, Jello, can you separate your political reblogs from everything else? I enjoy what you share, but every one in 10 posts you get political. If you're going to be like that, I'd advertise this blog as more of a personal blog than instead of a professional one. And he said, nah, sorry. I never understood the the point of separating blogs on Tumblr, except for archival purposes. My professional job's already my opinions on cartoons and things. Separating personas seems really fake to me. Mm-hmm. What you see is what you get. So, yeah. I mean, people Which, are de- in and of itself is yeah. a nicer way of saying that yeah. than he could have chosen. Yeah. Because fuck y'all, yeah, <laughs> would have been my response. But he, like, this is his full time thing. <laughs> yeah, and he is, and it's my full time thing, basically. Right, and we still do the same thing, even though we don't have like you know day jobs going on. Right, <laughs> right. hey, self employment is great. Uh, so <laughs> oh, wait, it's mm, security, job security. What's that? Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and but at the same time, like, I don't feel like. I know it's self-censorship in the strictest definition of the term, but I don't feel, like, ethically corrupted by it Mm -hmm. or anything. Like, you're talking to the guy who made an anti-capitalist RPG and then sold it. Right. I'm pretty fucking shameless regarding that shit. And at the same time, like... um, you know, like I've I've existed under real censorship. Sure, like yeah, that's why I lost the job in the first place. Right. Like I've seen real, full blown. Yeah, I want to obliterate an idea out of your mind and the mind of your children and the mind of your children. Children censorship, and like, maybe maybe I shouldn't say fuck in this tweet. Just doesn't even rate. Right, like it's not even close to yeah. the ideological hellscape of that idea. So, like, do I feel guilty about like choosing that or ch- not choosing that, or maybe I'll just say this at home and yeah. then not say it aloud on on cyberspace? No, I, and I also don't feel like that's deliritous of my uh, identity. Because I'm not an absolutist, but at the same time, like, I'm not an absolutist because I've seen the absolute. Right. And the absolute is so many levels more terrifying than yeah. anything I could yeah. do. Yeah. There there are some political reblog like some things I see on Tumblr that I do not retweet or reblog because 
Um, because there's some, it's not because I, I wouldn't be afraid to, it's because like, I also do think of like what I want to put on and I want to have a mix of what I think. Um, like there's one person I follow who's a Canadian and, uh, she posts a lot of things about Canadian politics right. that seem very interesting to me, but like it, it wouldn't be relevant necessarily. So, so there is kind of a curation. It's not like, Oh, I'm, I'm not afraid to do it. It's just like, eh, I don't think it would be. Yeah. So yeah. like there, there's, there are different reasons. It's not all like. I'm afraid to or not. It's like, sure. I just, no, I'm not going to make it hundred percent politics. Yeah. Like I have a Patreon account and I don't back any other Patreons, but it's not because I don't want to support other people. It's right. because the people I would back would not only represent my taste. Sure. They would represent your taste yeah. and producer Ross's taste. Right. And they would also be not static. Like those people would keep producing stuff. Yeah. And I would keep being on the record as backing them when I really would like on the Patreon people to focus on our work right. without distraction. Right, exactly. So it's not as if I'm not supporting that work of like, and I'll, I'll say I'm allowed. Like, I really like Jim Sterling, right. who is uh, an intentional provocateur yeah. in the video game industry. Uh, but I, I watch his YouTube videos religiously. Uh, I, I support Chapo Trap House, who's so hard left there, you know. Right. Right next to the tankies. Uh, but um, again, I don't want that to be like, well, that's Spencer's opinion now. Right. Like, because that's not fair. Like, and it's yeah, not because sure. I. Exactly. And it's not because I don't want to politicize myself. I do frequently, often yeah. too much. But at the same time, like, it's a matter of fairness. Yeah. So. Totally agree. Um, okay. That's our attempt at rationalizing social media use somewhere between personal branding and totally losing personality across a variety of forms. And I think what you got out of that is, yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> uh, so on that note we've got one segment le- left it's drunk enough I'm going to grab a beer and we'll be right back right. Spencer and I'm I'm just going to like build the suspense here I'm so excited for you to drink this but what is it so it's from New Belgium. Uh-huh. It's their Voodoo Ranger special release series, of which there are a couple quite good beers. This is the Atomic Pumpkin, and here's the description on the side. <laughs> Pumpkin ale featuring cinnamon mm, and habanero chili peppers. Wait, what? Who? So if here. this doesn't work, my my question is why? Yeah. Why would you do this? And then if this does work, my question has not changed. That's right. It is still a deep and wondering, how question. did you think to try this? All right. Just if you, if you had to spit it, put on the floor, like away from the equipment. <laughs> no, I'm like, that's what the t- pop filter's for. We've just No, not, no. <laughs> the scent is exceptional. Like the Please. scent is let me, exceptional. Let me smell it first. Let's, let's do this piece by piece. All right. Yeah. No, let's, let's linger. That smells good. Yeah, it's like a. It's more pumpkin y than I thought yeah. you, you would have the, with habanero. I don't, smell like, the, I don't smell the habanero at yeah, all. Yeah, I, I don't either. smell it. smells like a pumpkin spice candle. Yeah, yeah. I, I love candles, by the way. It might be a little bit more spice than pumpkin. Here but. we go. Okay, Scarlet Lighter. Sorry, we need to think. I was just thinking candles at like Puritan times. Yeah. I don't. All right, he's thinking. He's thinking. Well, it's very odd. Um, (laughs) it's very good. And then on the back end, it tastes like you just swallowed some red hot gum. So, (laughs) so it's kind of a weird, So whatever you feel about that situation, I have to try it. I gotta know. The flavor is exceptional. Um, it's smooth. It's almost got a creaminess to it. Does this define numerical? 
No, I'm just struggling. Yeah, it's sort of in the back of the throat. Yep, yep. Like, not what you would expect on a pepper. No. No, it's it's got a little, like, creamy smoothness to it that goes down nicely, in fact. Yeah. The, it's pumpkin forward. Well, it's, all, it's almost spiced forward, like clove cinnamon spiced forward. Um, and then there's a little pumpkin, and then it just feels like you just had a hot tamale in your mouth. Like it's on the uvula. Yeah. yeah. That's where the spice yeah. hits. Right. Like, yeah. You can't even really taste it, except it's so much a sensation. I, I think this is an MXC. What the hell? I think it's an MXC for me. If I could figure it out, and I've got a few minutes to do that, I don't know. It might be a price is right. I don't think it's ever going to hit prices right. No, now, but no. I, I think it might get up to MXE no. on like I novelty. I really alone. like it. Mm. Yeah, it's novelty. Right. Yeah. Kudos to you, New Belgium, and your Voodoo Ranger. Um, and on that note, hey, this is segment six, drunk enough, which used to be behind a very significant paywall for no all of you wonderful people, but because of the wonderful, exceptional. The incredible price is right quality patrons that we have. Mm-hmm. This is now available to all. So your price li- was literally right. Literally, it was so exactly right where it yeah. needed to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so here we are. We're in drunk enough. This is in theory or ostensibly our most difficult topic of the uh, of the episode. Although I'm not sure that's true today. Yeah, not today, too difficult today. No, but today we do get to talk about something which is topical mm-hmm. at least, um, because only days ago the three of us and a bunch of others sat down to celebrate your birthday, October the 14th. It was a wonderful day and a great evening. Kudos to Sarah in particular for putting all of that together. Um, but it struck me that, you know, as two people who both struggle in, in social communal gatherings, even amongst friends sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. we had a perfectly wonderful time with a bunch of people in a small public space the other night. It was one of my best birthdays. Birthday! And I, I, I woke up the next morning kind of thinking like, you know, that that went better than I would have assumed even something like that would have gone, right? We were at one of your favorite places with all of your favorite people, yeah, beyond Beyond our hopes for it to go well. It went like, really yeah, well. Yeah. And it got me thinking, what... What really makes for a good communal gathering, right? Like, what is it you're really looking for at the end of the day? And there are so many things you could, you know, we could talk about number of people. We could talk about environment or setting. We could talk about purpose. Um, But I'm totally open here because I have some thoughts on why the other night went really well. Yeah. Um, But I would like to get yours first because you were the one that just experienced all of it. Well, I mean, virtue signaling out of the way. Right. I mean, that's really the medium so much, that, the, not so much as the message. Right. But, uh, I mean, uh, it's conceptual. It's it's perspective-based. Like, uh, you don't assume it's a universal that we're talking about. Sure. Here, but um, <laughs> if you're the person who listens to this podcast, you may have the uh, certain proclivities that, that make our uh, – Make our advice for strong communal settings absolutes. So uh, uh, in that regard, I think that um, you first need to take care of uh, the fact that you are all in physical bodies and those physical bodies have needs. So food should be available. I'm not saying a specific type of food, but you should be... Nourishment. No one should be distracted well, by... enjoyable food. Yes, exactly. But no one should be distracted Reasonable. by... Um, you know, you don't uh, want hunger food. or right. or thirst. Uh, no one should have a problem going to the bathroom. Right. Uh, no one should be excessively hot or excessively cold. Right. And I and I think that this is something often overlooked in terms of like party planning in general, or at least in most weddings I've been in. Yeah. It's like when should we have it? Oh, the greenhouse in August. Great fucking idea. Right. Let me right. put on the three piece. Right. right. You monsters! Like, um, so I I think. Um, Material comforts is sort of a baseline 
And totally I feel agree. like a lot of people overlook that. And I feel like a lot of the people who are fantastic at planning events, Sarah, in, in the instance most recently, Brandy consistently uh, you know, acknowledges this from the front to back. You got to take care of the, you got you to do your P's and Q's all, before you all do your everything base else. Needs. Yeah. yeah, solve your base needs. Let me add a condition onto that. And I mean, there are some obvious conditions that, you know, I'm going to add, we're going to add just kind of uh, the presence of alcohol doesn't hurt in, in oh, our instance. My second condition is right. definitely have alcohol. Right, right. Uh, which is, again, problematic, perspective based, yeah. context based, not an absolute, but for me, uh, crippled by social anxiety. Yeah, I need something to get along. Let me tell well, you, it should be there, but it should not be like, not mandatory. Not like, man- it's not a frat party. It, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't believe it needs to be the purpose. I think it needs to be you know one of one of the elements. It is Here a lubricant. If you need it, right? That's right. Um, one of the things that I think made other nights event so wonderful, and the the social events that I think I'm tend I tend to be most comfortable in. Um, I often think that sometimes people have a um, compulsion to throw two or three or four or ten of their social groups together in one setting and assume that all of this just works like a blender and we will all come out on the other side having gotten along wonderfully. Don't fall to a nerd social fallacy. Do not fall to a nerd social fallacy. And the other night, it just so happened that almost all of us at the table had a reasonable spectrum of related interests such that I could move and I moved from various There's a big the middle area in that Venn diagram. That's right. Yeah. I moved from one end of the table to the middle of the table to the other end of the table to a different corner and was able to find things to talk about with everyone else. But at no point did it feel like we were forcing together two disparate groups yeah. who were distinct circles only to be a little less distinct circles. And that was a constantly shifting thing. Like uh, the the ladies had a fantastic time they did. that I didn't even know. It. Like there's pictures on Facebook. Right. That I didn't even like see get taken exactly because they sort of like went off by themselves and had then they were laughing they were having a wonderful time right. we talked about other stuff and then like uh, we sort of had a guy's corner but it wasn't like that it wasn't like creepy Thanksgiving like poker table all the wives or, or eighth grade dance. gender yeah gender right. separation stuff it was a shifting like fluid thing people went where conversation because were. we weren't yeah because we weren't you know sort of saying everybody that knows me is invited it that's is very right. much like a a, a you know prescribed group that's going to get along. Yep. And I, I don't think you're wrong in planning for that and engineering no, that. Situation. you should engineer those yeah, kinds of things. most definitely. Some other thing that I think you should engineer, um, we're just moving snake order now, apparently. Some other things Parties, that I, engineering, things that go great together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, um, At which point, Brandy breaks through the door and says, unironically, yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, <laughs> emphatically, Dude, like, I'm yeah. glad you agree, <laughs> Ross. Like, finally, someone gets it. <laughs> like, um, something that I think. Said the ladies put on the best parties I've ever been to. Right. Yeah, she's dinner parties. Obsessive about, about the party. Or, yeah. Um, the ability to get up and walk away from the table without judgment is a very important part of a healthy communal gathering for Ooh, me. I was going to do the opposite of that, Uh-oh. the ability to arrive <laughs> at any time. So oh, we said, yeah. like, we're going to get started around here, Yeah, show up whenever, yeah. which is opposite of most social engagements I have when it's like we've made – a prescribed time, and yeah. I, you know, we go back to our first episode: the ethics and punctuality. Yeah, like for sure. If at any point I'm thinking about, it, I'm distracted from the social interaction. Now. That's right. But I'm like, I'm here. Show up or don't. Right. Utterly low pressure. Yep. No, I like. And that. then, like, when you show up, I'm just glad to see you that you came. Right. Like, that's very kind. That, that yeah. That that like that sort of arrive when you can, leave when you can, because there's now set itinerary. We're just here to be amongst each other. Right. That low pressure, like that is. 
key to it for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, so I guess it's not the exact opposite of what I was saying, but it actually probably is a better reading of what I was saying because it's an issue of low pressure. Um, there are times when I just need to like take a human break for 30 seconds even. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It didn't – like I felt like I could just get up and walk away from the table and go to the bathroom. Or frankly, at one point I just walked outside for a minute because I was like, oh, it's a really nice night out. I'm going to go stand out, take a hot second break, and then I'm going to come back in. And I feel like uh, you don't – you're – you're not always not trapped in those kinds of social settings. Yeah, you're not feigning going to the bathroom just to get a second That's in the right. stall to breathe. But, there, you know, it was such a low-pressure event that the movement to and from the table was very like, oh, you're here, you're not here. Okay, things happen. You know what yeah. I mean? And so I very much appreciated that. And I argue by that low pressure, it actually revolts in more engagement of you overall, yeah. not that we scientifically mentioned right. that or anything, right. than a situation in which, like, the, the pressure's higher and you're finding, like unobjectionable excuses to disengage just, to, just like to our out. like our yeah. ways to avoid holiday problems yes exactly discussion. right which you know we've certainly done and yeah. probably will do in, in the weeks to come yeah um so you know i don't i don't want to scrub over this um but i do think that some nice background music is typically pretty good for a nice social engagement <laughs> of the like I but think not that, too loud there we go yeah not too loud there we go i think that's the in the material needs oh okay okay like for you me like i factor that in like you know um are you not being heard every second? Mm, like, mm-hmm. is there enough background noise that you can be discreet in what you're talking about? Right. Versus like, and that's like, like just basic bathroom stuff. Like you don't want it to be a mausoleum in there where right. every sound you make echoes for eternity. You, really you want don't. some goddamn music. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same for like a conversation. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. Um, last thing that I would say, and this one's kind of this one's a little bit counterintuitive to, to my approach to hang out with people, because typically my approach to hang out with people is hang out with people that I'm really close to, and then don't hang out with other people um, mm-hmm. because then I'm the most comfortable. But there were <clears throat> varying levels of relationships with other people there for me, which is actually really wonderful. Right? Yeah, some strands were thicker than others. That's yeah. right, which made it easy for me to have like getting to know you conversations with some people that were there. Although for the most part, I'd met everyone. There were a few people I hadn't. It was nice to be able to go to one end of the table and talk about people whom I don't know terribly well, and therefore there was some built-in getting to know you stuff. Of course, sitting down next to you, there's no getting to know you. You know, yeah. we're way, we hold hands for two hours. You know, every week. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but 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 there was both ends of that spectrum, and then everything in the middle where I could vary the levels of. Of conversation and attachment that I had with people, which made it feel n- never stale. I think uh, for me is like maybe recognizing a role as well. It was my birthday, right. so I didn't move around as much. You don't have that pressure, but at the, but at the same time, like it wasn't necessarily pressure for me. Like it's not like I didn't want to see anybody, but I also wanted people to know where to find me, right? Yeah, and like be able to engage with me to a degree in which they wanted to engage in. Yeah, like for sure, because I understand not every, like I, I understand everyone came because they do appreciate me and they wanted to celebrate my birthday. But I understand that wasn't like the best thing they got out of the night yeah like it could have been like engagement with other people and i want them to have like the permission i so to speak of do that like i'm not a sweet 16 girl and you know mtv reality tv show caleb i do think of you as that well thanks yeah Uh, quite often (laughs) don't invite ross right right that's (laughs) the final rule um uh, this might be be the last mix six people deal with it it's been so to be um to be a little bit more drunk enough about this rather than just a list of advice. Right. What I will say is that that is one of the most, like, I am about as stressed out as I've ever been right now between 
Metatopia and like Red Market's work has stalled because I'm stuck waiting on things I can't control, mm-hmm. like shipping, and like that is gone late, and like I, I'm suffering from a lack of communication from other people. Like yep. it's not over, but like it is stressful with that plus work. And that was one of the most like restorative nights I've ever had. So to get drunk enough party about like that, like <laughs> bring back the dinner party. Yeah. Like Yeah. Don't don't obsess over it, and like also don't make it so much work for yourself that you don't enjoy it. But right. like, we are amongst each other. We are all materially satisfied, and we are all exchanging ideas of various depth and significance in shifting social circles. Like, th- there is something to that, and also it doesn't yeah. have to be like a college party. It doesn't have to be so widely uh, expressed that you've got like circles that don't interact with each other. Yeah. Because that can lose a lot of social. It can be like a small thing at a restaurant. Yeah. But man, that's like if this podcast has a fucking thesis, Amen. it is that like having a few beers and talking about fucking whatever, whatever. with people that you like is a vital human function that has been atomized out of society yeah. and you should protect it. Totally like, agree. If we have a conservative streak, it is that is protect. Sitting around a table, drinking a few beers, and, and talking with your friends. Hashtag preach. Uh, and so <laughs> that would be the drunk enough segment I have for that. Like beyond the material, more living with humans advice with that is like yeah. it, it does require some effort, which we've talked about in terms of like what to dedicate your effort to. Yeah, which is important. But the drunk enough aspect is that philosophically, aesthetically, yeah. emotionally, psychologically, that effort <laughs> is worth it. Sometimes it's okay just to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And you should. Yeah, you know, it, alcoholic and non-alcoholic, depending on yeah, your clothes. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, while we've been sitting around having a few beers, talking about all this stuff, you've been here too, uh, and we want to thank you so much for your time, for your energy, for your patronage, for your resources, um, whatever it is you've given to be a part of this. It means the most to us, and we thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, if you haven't checked out any of the other offerings we have, feel free to check out Hot Takes on Ice for six dollar backers, or our Snippets of Adventure, which is coming to an end in season one in the next couple of months for three dollar backers. Um, also, if you've not yet checked out all of the fun, exciting news about party foul the game which caleb and i are working on and we'll be testing at metatopia in early november and then hope to kickstart sometime next year maybe even as late as the spring early summer uh then we would certainly welcome your patronage there on twitter at party foul game and on facebook facebook.com slash party foul game i'm pretty sure i don't know search for fucking party foul the game on facebook people um hey thanks so much for everything you do if you're not only following if you're not already following us on twitter twitter at the mix six we're also on facebook facebook.com slash the mix six we've also got a pretty neat little website w www.themixed6.com where you can find a variety of different ways to listen to our podcast and more of our content. As always, thanks so much for listening to all of this. This has been The Mixed Six. I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. And we'll see you next time. Woo!